Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom. Talk about rigmarole today. Yikes, all sorts of craziness going on. Well, hopefully this goes a little bit smoother. We're going to get back to our Galatians series. And uh, I'm actually, we're going we're gonna to kind of circle back and we're going to just kind of start off in the very passage we ended off uh, last week. And so going back, Galatians 3.3, 3, this is what we read. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Again, going back to that reality that the Galatians were falling into the lie. They can't be saved unless they are circumcised in the flesh. And, and here's what Paul is saying. It's like, but you have been circumcised. You were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. This is talking about a divine circumcision. This is talking about being circumcised by the Ruach HaKodesh himself. And so this is really powerful. So he says, having begun in that spirit where they receive that anointing, which would happen through faith, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Now moving on. Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith. Now this is a typical Pauline style. Because what you'll find, and he does this everywhere, and he does it all the time. The Apostle Paul will make a statement, and then he will again make the statement right after, so as for emphasis. But what I love what he does is he always changes the terminology. He tweaks it just a little bit. And what does that do? Well, it gives you a much broader understanding of what he's talking about. And make no mistake, the Apostle Paul, as you, as you go through, you start navigating through his epistles, and you start looking at how he does things, these things are intentional. I mean, it may come naturally to him, but you can see more and more as you're looking at this, this is intentional. And so this statement is literally a mere statement of what he just got done saying. You know, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Well, he goes on to say the same thing, just a little differently. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you works miracles among you. In other words, what he's saying is when the Spirit was poured out, it was poured out on you, you received, you saw with your own eyes the power of God, the power of what the Holy Spirit uh, did. Did that happen because of the works of the law? In other words, did that happen because you went and got circumcised in the flesh? Or did that happen because you believed? Because you had faith? That's why that happened. Again, go back to Acts 10. Go back to that experience that Peter had in Cornelius' house. And when he's talking to these Gentiles, he's just preaching the gospel. These Gentiles, in their heart, they believed the word, and the Ruach HaKodesh fell down upon them. It was awesome. It was in power. It happened through faith. The very thing Paul is saying here. Now, pay close attention, because what does he say next? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Isn't that interesting? So here we're dealing this issue in Galatia, where the Galatians are falling victim to this deception. They can't be saved unless they do this, unless they get the cutting in the flesh. They can't be saved. And what does Paul do? Brilliant. So clever. He brings Abraham to the table and pay attention. He doesn't bring Abraham to the table in just any fashion. You know, there's a lot of passages that I can draw out of the Torah in regard to Abraham that are wonderful, that are beautiful. 
Paul doesn't just draw any. He draws Genesis 15, 6. Specifically, what do we know about the context of Genesis 15, 6, which he is literally quoting, and it was accounted to him for righteousness? This is what we know. Abraham was not circumcised. He wasn't circumcised. Paul bringing Abraham to the table in this context is powerful. You want to talk about throwing it down on the table, trying to do everything in his power to get their attention. He's going back to the Torah. And this is the Maasei of Boat Simon Lebanon. The deeds, the actions of the fathers are a sign for the children. In other words, we look at these actions of the father. They are prophetic. Paul brings this to the table and says, look at this. It's prophecy detailing what would happen to the Gentiles. Look at Abraham. It's powerful. He goes on. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Paul has just defined what it takes to become part of Abraham's household. Think about this. He just defined it. I want you to think about something for a second. What's the controversy all about? In the first century, what is this controversy? Most of us would say circumcision. Yes, but it's, it's deeper than that. What is it about circumcision that they're trying to obtain? Salvation. This is about salvation. This is about being a part of Abraham's household. See, because only those who are in Abraham's house, only they are going to be saved now, how to define those terms, that's where there's this breach. You know, both of these, you could look at both sides and they can both say, salvation is at stake. We're concerned about salvation. Paul, the apostles, they'll say that these Jews going to Galatia, telling the Galatians that they need to be circumcised. Both of them will say, hey, this is all about salvation. But how they define that term and how to obtain that, interpretations, two different, completely interpretations. But then... Paul comes on the scene and drops this nuclear bomb of revelation and says, whoa, time out. Only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. You think about the implications of this statement. And not just for the Gentiles, but for the Jews, for Paul's own, own brethren. This is what they would call a life-altering statement. This is one of those statements, as they say, it would change your religion. That's what this is. That's how profound this is. And this is the point that Paul is really trying to reiterate over and over again to them. In fact, this very statement, as I was just alluding to before, showing you that typical Pauline style. This statement is so important to him, he repeats it multiple times in this very chapter. I want to look at some of these other ones. Because again, he's going to say it in a little different. We're going to learn something. See, in verse 7, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. He says the exact same thing in verse 26. But here he says, you are all sons of God through faith in Mashiach. That's the deal, through Messiah Yeshua. And so I love this because if you want to get technical, okay, we can read this statement. Only those who are of faith sons of Abraham. Great. Faith in what? What are we going to have faith in? Well, here he tells us it's Messiah Yeshua. The other thing to notice here is that to be sons of Abraham means that you are sons of God. 
Think about that statement for a second. To be a son of Abraham is to be a son of God. Powerful. Show you one more. Going to uh, verse 29. This is what we read. And if you are Mashiachs, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All three statements saying the identical same thing. All a little bit differently. See, the key component is, is boil it down to this. If we are the Messiah Yeshua, if we have put our faith in him, guess what? I get to go and be a part of Abraham's household. Period. You get to be a part of Abraham's seed. And look at the last thing he says there in verse 29. Heirs. Heirs of the promise. In other words, you are going to receive that inheritance. That promise that was given to Abraham, to his descendants, that now comes to you through faith in the Messiah, Yeshua. I want to share something with you. I did bring it. In 2002, I was in the store, and I noticed on the end, you know how they always have the magazines up. And on the end, I noticed that Time Magazine had brought out uh, an edition that looked really, really important because they offered a depiction on the front cover of someone that we all know. Now, obviously, this isn't literally a photo, and I'll put this up here. But here's what it said. It said, Abraham. It's a picture of Abraham, Time Magazine. It's not why I bought this. I bought this because of the caption that is stated on the front cover. And what does it say? Well, let me blow it up for you. Muslims, Christians, and Jews all claim him as their father. This is the statement. I want you to think about this. Muslims, Christians, and Jews all proclaim him. Their identity is in Avraham. Now, for those of you who have been to Israel, you know exactly what this is talking about because it becomes tangible. When you go to Jerusalem, you will find that Jerusalem is literally divided in quarters. A Jewish quarter, a Muslim quarter, and a Christian quarter. You get there, you can see it, and you walk through the quarters. They're all separate. It is an amazing thing. Why are they in the holiest city in the universe? In Yerushalayim. Because they all proclaim Avraham as their father. In fact, when I went to Machpelah, the gravesite of Abraham, if you were here for that, one thing that I mentioned is that the tombs of the patriarchs are actually divided between a Jewish uh, area and a Muslim area. And so you literally go there, you have Jews, Muslims, and you have Christians flooding both sides of the Jewish and the Muslim side. Muslims, Christians, and Jews going there. Why? To pay homage to Abraham. Why? They identify him as their father. Do you understand the wars about identity? This whole entire war is all over identity. The question becomes, who really are the children of Abraham? Who are they? Because with all due respect, you look, like, you look at Islam, you look at Judaism today, you look at Christianity. Man, in so many ways, they could not be farther apart. Their beliefs, their doctrines, total opposition to one another. They believe different parts of the Bible. Islam has changed the story of Abraham. He didn't sacrifice Yitzhak. He sacrificed Ishmael. You couldn't be farther apart. And yet, all of them are claiming Abraham as their father. Well, who are the children of Abraham? You know, when a father has children, 
The one thing all of us can agree upon just by growing up and seeing other families, the children take on the characteristics of their father. Okay, they take on characteristic traits, they take on personality traits. I mean, how many times you you growing up, your father said something, he always said it, drove you nuts and say, man, I will never say that to my kids when I get older. 20 years later, you're like, oh my goodness, I've become my father. I'm saying the exact same things. And the reason is that's the expectation. That makes sense because it's natural. We don't realize it's natural to be like your father. You know, these characteristics will bleed through. When looking at who the children of Abraham really are, pay close attention to what Paul just told us. Only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. What does this tell you about Abraham's house? What does this tell you about the faith? It tells you that it's completely spiritual. And listen to me careful because this entire message is dedicated to this. It tells us that the faith that Abraham is completely spiritual in nature, which means you can't obtain it by the flesh. You can't simply become part of Abraham's household because you receive circumcision in the flesh. Abraham's house, his family, his children, they're completely spiritual in nature. And this is something that transcends bloodlines, it transcends genealogies, it transcends circumcision in the flesh. And you want proof of this? Look at Abraham. Just look at Abraham. When Abraham was called, was he called while circumcised or while uncircumcised? It was while he was uncircumcised, right? And Paul makes this note in in Romans chapter 4. Thus what we find is that salvation only comes... Uh, um, to Abraham, it only came through spiritual means. In other words, by grace, God called Abraham, and through faith, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And because of that, because by grace, through faith, the covenant would be established through him. That's why God chose him. Not because of his flesh, not because of who his father was, or who his family was, because of faith. Abraham, the whole thing, it all goes to him. That's why this identity, that's why Muslims are running, Christians and Jews, they're all running to Abraham because they recognize he's the father of the faith. They recognize you need, if you're going to have an identity at all, it needs to be in his house. Pure and simple. Here's what's really interesting. As you move on into Abraham's descendants, what you find is that this testimony, the template of what salvation looks like, it doesn't stop with Abraham, but rather it gets further manifested through his descendants. The promises, the covenants, the blessings, the inheritance, it's all obtained through faith. It's all completely spiritual. All those elements, they're 100% spiritual. A perfect example of what I'm talking about is Abraham's firstborn son. Who is his firstborn? It is none other than Ishmael right? And Ishmael was the son of Hagar, the Egyptian. Now remember, Hagar is who? She was the maidservant of Sarah. Because Sarah was barren and couldn't have children, she gave her maidservant Hagar into Abraham's embrace as a wife. And what happened? She conceived. You know, Sarah was looking for a surrogate. That didn't work out so well, obviously. 
because the moment that Hagar gives birth, she, Sarah realizes that she's despised in her eyes. What do you think a mom's going to do? It's the natural maternal instinct. She wants her child. No mother wants to carry a child as a surrogate. I mean, typically. This is not the deal. And so you go through that. So this is, this is Ishmael's heritage. Now, there are a couple of things about Ishmael that you need to understand. This is very important. Number one, he is Abraham's, not some other guy. He is Abraham's firstborn son. Now, if you ever read the Torah, you read the Bible, you, you, and you realize the weight and the gravity of what that means, that's really special to be in the firstborn. There are specific things that get, uh, you acquire as firstborn that the rest of the family doesn't get for no other reason than the fact that you were firstborn. The second thing is very unusual and unique is this. Abraham and Ishmael as father and son were circumcised on the same day. Father and son together. I mean, would you call that special? I mean, if a father did that today with his son, yes. He obviously didn't go through the Galatians study. But (laughs) the point being is, is you can see Ishmael has some things going for him. I mean, he was circumcised with Abraham, with his own father. He was 13, Abraham was 99. Let me ask this question, though. Did God bring forth that he established his covenant with Ishmael? No. He established it with Yitzhak, with Isaac, the son of Sarah. The son of a woman that couldn't bear children. See, you look at these two. What is the difference between Ishmael and Isaac? Covenant not established. Covenant established. We need to identify a distinction here. I'll make it very simple. Ishmael, product of the flesh. Yitzhak was a product of the spirit. He was the son of a woman that couldn't bear children. And and the Bible takes the time specifically to tell you this, that she was past the age of childbearing. It was impossible for her to have a son. Impossible. What does that tell you about Isaac? It tells you he was a product of power. He was a product of the spirit. He literally is a miracle. He is a miracle of God. In every way, he is a product of the Holy Spirit. So powerful. And if you you really want to feel the weight of this, the gravity of how miraculous this was, go and read Genesis. And what you'll see is God comes to Abraham and says, hey, your wife, Sarah, she's going to conceive. She's going to bear a son. Do you know how Abraham responds? He laughs. That's the first thing, going and reading. He starts laughing. It's always been peculiar to me. This side note has nothing to do with nothing. Sarah gets in trouble for laughing. How many of you read that? Sarah gets in trouble laughing. But Abraham doesn't. It's not a word. Not a word is said. Pretty unfair. Point being is, is here you, you have Abraham. He's told, you, I'm going to give you a son, not by Hagar, But by this woman who can't bear, he laughs. And to really experience this, do you know what Abraham said in response to God? This is what he says. Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Think about that. He came and told him, no, Sarah, your wife is going to bear a son. And response is that it's so impossible. Abraham knows this, that it cannot happen. He's 100. She's 90. This is never going to happen. Oh, Lord, I appreciate your heart. It's, it's awesome. But no, may Ishmael live before you. 
Do you understand? You, you have to appreciate how impossible this was. But look at how the Lord responds. Then Elohim said, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Yitzhak and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Yitzhak is supernatural. He is this product of spirit. He is the product of power. See, it has to be this way. That's why the covenant could only be established through him. Because how did it begin? It began in the spirit. And I can't move from the spirit to flesh, from the flesh to the spirit, and the spirit to flesh. That's not how the genealogy of the spirit works. It goes from spirit to spirit to spirit, from power to power. Do we understand? Story doesn't end with Isaac. We go on, it continues through Isaac's seed his descendants, his children. See, like his father before him, Abraham, Isaac has two very specific children. But unlike his father, not by two different wives, not by two different wives, but the same woman, Rebecca, his wife. The Lord opened her womb and she conceived. And inside she had twins. But the text records that she's sitting there, and as her pregnancy continues, there's war in her womb. She's like, if all is well, why am I like this? So she goes to inquire of the Lord, what is going on in my womb? She doesn't know that she has twins. This is what is said. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Who are these children? They are Jacob and Esau. Jacob, who would later be called Israel. Now, who was the older? Esau. Esau came out first. Jacob holding on to his heel, which is totally prophetic. You can read the Apocrypha and see this, of moving from this age into the next age. It's really a powerful imagery. But Esau comes out first. He's the firstborn. Guess what Esau gets? He gets everything. He gets the firstborn status. He gets the blessing, the birthright. It's all his. But what's the prophecy say? The younger will rise up. The older shall serve the younger. Something happens here, right? Jacob grows up. He gets the birthright. He gets the blessing. It all falls to him. Esau's got nothing. That is absolutely amazing. Jacob got the covenant. Wasn't it his children at the mount? He got the covenant. It didn't continue with Esau. You know, what's the little bit of insight from the prophets Malachi? Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. You might understand this war that was ensuing in the womb. You know, through this story, we get this perfect clarity of the fact that the faith, the inheritance, the covenant, the promises, they are not explicitly obtained by means of flesh. I want you to think about something for a second in regard to being a child of Abraham, all right? In regard to being a child of promise, inheritance, those who are considered Israel, even for those who identify as Jews, honestly. Where does that identity come from? Where does the identity come from? 
How do we determine it? Is it merely flesh? Well, I'm Jewish because, you know what, my parents are Jewish. You ask a rabbi today, am I Jewish? And I'm just going to respond, well, is your mother Jewish? Let me go to G immediately, fleshly genealogy. Is that how we define what being biblically Jewish is? Or is it something more than that? See, because everything we read in Scripture would indicate there is more. In other words, what I'm saying is that you can't define what a biblical Jew, biblical Israel is explicitly through fleshly means, physical genetics. See, because if you fall into that category, you're going to have a real problem. And why do I say that? How many of you see Esau as a Hebrew? Have you ever read this in the Bible? Have you ever gone through the Torah and seen that Esau is considered a Hebrew? Well, wait a second. If it's genetics, he's the twin brother of Jacob. He is the twin brother of Israel. He has the same mother and father. He was in the same womb. If this is all about the flesh, then with all due respect, Esau is Jewish. But he's not. He is not Jewish. He was separated. He was completely separated from his family, from his mother and father. He became the father of the Edomites. Think about this for a second. Do you think this story's in there just by accident? Absolutely not. This story is revealing, showing us that Israel's heritage, who they are, totally spirit. Completely supernatural, filled with power and miracles. That is who Israel really is. This is their very heritage. This is their definition. In Deuteronomy 4, look at what we read. Great example of this. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and lived? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, signs, wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, by great tears, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? <laughs> what do you call that? I call that spirit. That is a calling that is totally based upon power, not a flesh, not at all. This is all power. This is Israel's heritage. Let me take you to the mountain. I want to take you to Mount Sinai. We read something really amazing because the children of Israel are coming into covenant with the God of Israel. In Exodus 19 verse 5, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people for all the earth is mine. Isn't that amazing? Hmm. See, if this was merely, I brought you children of Israel simply because you're a product of flesh and genealogy, they would have got to the mountain. He said, thank you for coming. The doors open, enter the promised land. That's not what it is. That's not Israel's heritage. That was not the heritage and, and, and the name that Abraham left to his descendants. That wasn't him. The Lord brings them to the mountain and portrays the very same thing that he portrayed to Abraham. Walk before me and be blameless. 
And I will establish my covenant with you. Isn't that interesting? Does the same thing with the children. If you obey my voice, interesting, the voice of the Lord, the commandments, the mitzvot of the Lord. You think of John 6, Yeshua says, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they're life, spiritual. The words that are coming from Mount Sinai, this is Yeshua literally opening his mouth and the spirit coming forth. They're coming into what? A spiritual inheritance. A spiritual heritage. If you do what I say, then you become my special people. See, you cannot define Israel explicitly through fleshly means. You can't find it anywhere in scripture. And actually, the deeper you go into it, the farther away it goes. Powerful lessons for us today. You know, Israel's, their calling, it transcends everything that is Bloodline, genealogy, and flesh. We need to understand this, especially when you consider what Paul is actually sharing with the Galatians and the point that he's trying to, to, to make to them, to understand really what they're being called into. This family, that they're being grafted into this family of Israel, what does that really mean? Does it mean that I can only be a part of them if I have this marking in the flesh? The scripture would tell us otherwise. I want to bring this conversation into the New Testament and really bring this full circle and show you how first century Jews understood this. The Apostle Paul in Romans 9.3, For I could wish that I myself were cursed from a shiach from my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption. I just want to stop right here. Paul opens up and you know these three chapters, Romans 9, 10, and 11, are, are, they're, they're really very, very popular, and they're grouped together uh, because of the, the topic and the subject matter of what Paul is dealing with in regard to explaining Israel. The first thing that you do need to recognize is Paul has such a heart for his Jewish brethren in the flesh, their actual physical descendants, okay, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he himself wished he were cursed from, from the faith, which is interesting because Moses said the very same thing in Exodus 32, See, because a true intercessor, someone that truly cares, Moses, he proclaimed that if you're not going to forgive your people, then blot me out of your book. You can see why the Lord picked him as a leader. Talk about a, a quality to possess as a leader. Despite how they treated him, he was willing to die himself and to be blotted out for their sake. Amazing. Apostle Paul had that heart for his own Jewish people in the flesh. Now, he says in verse 4, who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, okay, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Every single descriptor on there is 100% spirit. It's all a product of spirit. The Ruach HaKodesh, verse 5. Of whom are the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the 12 patriarchs. And from whom, according to the flesh, Mashiach came, who is overall the eternally blessed God. Amen. Now moving to verse 6. But, now we have a turn here. When you get into these conjunctions, right? But, it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. What is Paul referring to? You're going to see. He's referring to the natural branches. Some of the natural branches, not all. Some of the natural branches are being cut off. And so he's, he's letting the Romans know, don't think for a second that the word of God hasn't taken effect. And then he says this, 
for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. You think about that statement. You think about how hard it was for Paul as a Jew to make this statement, knowing the heart and the love he has for his nation. Pained him. This was painful. This wasn't just something, you know, he took lightheartedly and just threw that out there. It was painful. But he's bringing a reality out that just because people are of the flesh, genealogy, they're a part of Israel, they're not all a part of Israel. See, now we're getting into Paul's getting very specific in how to define who Israel is. And this is supposed to strike fear into the hearts. Because there's a lot of people who think that they're fine, that they're the seed, the lineage of Abraham, when in fact they're lost. So, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they children, because they're the seed of Abraham. Oh, but look at this. But in Yitzhak, your seed shall be called. Oh, the Maaseavot Simon Lebanim. Going back to the fathers, going back and showing that they are prophetic. That's the prophetic template for us to understand today the reality. To understand who is Israel and who isn't Israel. It's not a product of the flesh. What it is, is it's in Isaac. He takes all of it. He points to Isaac. What do we know about Isaac? Oh, he was a miracle. He was a product of spirit. He was the product of promise. That's who Isaac was. Total promise. We got to pay attention. We got to pay attention to what Paul's saying here. Moving on to verse 8. That is, those who are of the children of uh, who are the children of flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. There it is. Laid out, crystal clear. Children of the flesh, they're not children of God. Only the children of promise are. Let me say this, and this is not just important for you yourselves to know, obviously. In other words, for your own sake. But it's important that you understand this for the sake of the Jewish people. In other words, see, this is the deception of dual covenant theology. That we don't need to proselytize. We don't need to proclaim the gospel to the Jewish people. They're fine. They have a different covenant. They're actual seed of Abraham. We don't got to worry about them. Lie from the pit of hell. The only way they're going to see salvation. The only way they're going to be like their father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Is by faith in the Messiah Yeshua. There's no other way. And so this has so, there's, it's so deep what is actually being conveyed here. And on multiple levels of how we need to yearn like Paul yearned for the Jewish people in the flesh. That they don't rely on the flesh, but they rely on their Messiah. The Jewish Messiah. The flip side is that we need to understand what Paul is saying to the Galatians as he's going into these Gentiles who think they can't be saved unless they have that marking in the flesh, they don't know anything. They don't understand Isaac. They don't understand what happened with Isaac's own children going to Jacob and Esau. They don't understand Abraham. Let me take you to John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. But when he, Yochanan, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, therefore bear fruits 
worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children from Abraham from these stones. These are his own brethren. Okay? Here you got John the Baptist. He was Kohenim. John the Baptist was a Kohen. Here you have this priest, well-respected among the people, and all of a sudden, other well-respected men come. His own brethren come out to see him. Not a great introduction, brood of vipers. It's not typically what you want to hear when you enter into somebody's house. But he sends them a warning. The one warning he sends them, he tells them, do not say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. What is he saying? Do not rely on your your physical genealogy. As though you have an open door of inheritance. That no matter what you do, whether you bear fruits worthy of repentance or not, you're going to receive then a share to come in the world to come. It's not going to happen. Now here's what's interesting about this. These very men do not take the advice of the apostle uh, John. John the Baptist. They do not take this advice because as we get to John chapter 8, Yeshua has some interaction with particular Jews. Then Yeshua said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Be very clear, the audience is Jewish. Okay? This is who he's talking to, verse 33. They answered him and said, Oh, we are Abraham's descendants. The very thing that John the Baptist warned his own brother, Don't go there, don't say this is exactly how they respond to Yeshua. And have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? See, these Jews are baffled by Yeshua's statements that they need to be made free. I mean, think about it. Think of the context. They're living in the land that was promised to them. That's a fact. The temple is functioning. They're going to the temple. They're praying at the temple. They're descendants of Abraham. What in the world is Yeshua talking about? That they need to be made free. Well, Yeshua responds, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house. What house is he talking about? He is talking about the house of Abraham. Abraham's household. That's how we identify who we are. He does not abide in a house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Oh my. See, that focus that Paul is sharing with the Galatians, where he's putting all the emphasis on Christ and Yeshua alone, that this is how we're going to see Yeshua is putting the same emphasis on himself as he's having this discussion with his fellow Jewish brethren. If I don't set you free, you will not continue to abide in Abraham's household. You will be removed. This is terrifying. This is scary. Well, listen to what he says next. It gets more intense. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. The first thing I want to mention is Yeshua recognizes their genealogy. He recognizes according to the flesh, yes, they are Abraham's descendants. But then he says, I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. That's not good. You think about this. Yeshua just revealed to them they have different fathers. His father is not their father. 
frightening statement. Well, how do they respond to Yeshua? And they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Think about that. Yeshua tells them, your father's not my father. Their immediate response is, I don't think you understand who we are. Abraham is our father. You see how they keep going back? The very thing that John the Baptist warned them not to do, they keep going back. This is where they're resting it on. They're resting it on that fact. So how does Yeshua respond? If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. The nuclear bomb. This is what it was. See, because what Yeshua just did here is he brought everything we're covering today into perfect focus down to the finest point. Do you want to be in Abraham's household? Do you want to have that inheritance? you want a future? you want the promises? You have to do what Abraham did. You have to do what he did. Then and only then are you truly descendants. You know, this is the ultimate paternity test. The ultimate paternity test. If there's someone, there's a question, you don't know who the father is. They go out and they take a paternity test. The Bible gives us this test. And this is what's scary. It's a test that none of you want to take. I'm going to tell you that, where you start doing an audit of your life and saying, do I walk like Abraham? Do I do the works that Abraham did? Do I say the words that Abraham said? Do I have that faith that Abraham had, where he literally was called out from his own inheritance in the flesh, where he was living in his own land? He had his own land. He had his own family. He came out from his own gods. Left everything to walk. Lord didn't tell him where he was going. How many of you are willing to do that, are willing to walk that walk with Yeshua today? And so this is frightening. When you take this paternity test, only those who do the works that Abraham did are his children. That is scary. So despite these particular Jews who are clearly Jewish in the flesh... Yeshua confirms this. Yeshua drops this bomb. You're not very Jewish. And this is my point. I want to say that again. He's alluding to the fact you're not Jewish. See, if you attempt to define what a Jewish person is today explicitly through fleshly means, you will completely fail. Because there's nothing in this book as you go through that dictates it's explicitly a fleshly thing. It's spirit, it's power, miracles. One thing after another, story after story. That's all we see. Look, think about the Exodus. Think about the Exodus where God, by power, he brings these people out, supernatural calling. Yet only two people made it into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. Two people, over 600,000 men, over 20 years old, all died in the wilderness. Every one of them, only two. Because they did not do the works that Abraham did. They did not have the faith. You read the end of Hebrews chapter 3 into chapter 4. They didn't have the faith to do what it needed to be done. Moving on to verse 44. You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. You thought it was bad before. Now we've hit a crescendo here. Okay. Okay. It was one thing for him to say, you know, my father's not your father. But now he's revealing who their father is. I mean, these are his own Jewish brethren. Make no mistake, Yeshua took no pleasure in this. It pains him. 
that their father, and this is, this is the nuclear bomb of Revelation, their father is the devil. Let me take you to Revelation, because Yeshua says the same thing to his own brethren in Smyrna. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Interesting. These people, they are Jews. They're Jews in the flesh. And Yeshua knows they say they are Jews, but Yeshua says they're not. See, this, this term and attempting to define this term of what a real, or I would say a biblical Jew really is, it cannot be defined explicitly through the flesh. If that were the case, Yeshua could not say the words that he has said. See, because to him, what being Jewish is so much more. Look, go back to Mount Sinai. You will find out. If you obey my voice, then you will be my special people. Over and over again, Israel is spirit. Their heritage is totally spiritual. Powerful. And this is the reality that we need to understand we need to understand this as we look at Galatians, as we're peering in to this dialogue that Paul is having with them, pleading with them to understand what he knows, what he understands about his own nation. Going back to Galatians 3, 5, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. See, now that statement, as we look at it, we're going through the information that we've covered today, is powerful. The We need to go back and look at Abraham's life to understand really what Paul is trying to convey. And this is what Paul is doing. He's bringing them back to the Torah. He's bringing them back to Abraham's life. Not just that. You think of the fact that there, there really is no greater expression of, of spirit than faith in Yeshua. And the whole point that Paul's making here, we're only sons of Abraham through faith. There is a verse I grabbed out of here that is so powerful that kind of just ties everything together. When you understand that uh, the heritage of Israel is completely spiritual Abraham began in the spirit. He was confirmed in the spirit and his descendants that went on were all confirmed. Not Ishmael, but Isaac, not Esau, but Jacob. Spirit to spirit to spirit, power to power to power. And you think of this concept and you want to wrap it all together. There is a passage in 2 Corinthians that Paul reveals something about Yeshua. And it is really powerful and it just... I'll show it to you. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Put this all together. Now, this is explicitly referring to, this is not theos. This is not referring to the Father. You want to check me out? Just go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is very explicitly referring to one, Yeshua. The one whom the Father sent. And here... Okay, so we're looking at Israel. They are completely spiritual. Their heritage is totally, completely spiritual. And then Paul tells us, well, Yeshua is the spirit. And then it all hinges on him. And everything Paul is trying to convey to the Galatians, oh, it all hinges on the Messiah, Yeshua, faith in him. And so Israel is built upon the spirit. They're built upon the rock. They're built upon the Lord, Yeshua. 
How powerful is that? We're going to close with this verse. And the scripture, silly Paul, just keeps going back to scripture. And the scripture foreseen that Elohim would justify the Gentiles by faith. You just get that? He's referring to the Torah. It prophesied that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. He preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. You get what he just did? This is so profound. He did it again. He specifically went to a passage, the Apostle Paul, when Abraham was given this promise, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Guess what? Abraham wasn't circumcised. He did it again. And what he's saying is he's saying, look at Abraham's life. It was a prophetic template to show you what was to come. You're living this. Why are you rejecting it? 